0: Okay, at this time we're going to have our first message for today brought to us by Mr. Reg Noland. It is entitled The Divine Sense of Humor. Okay, because of everything that has been very dark and heavy of late, I decided to do something lighter today to try to show you that God has a sense of humor. God has a sense of humor. Once I heard a two-line joke, that goes like this. Question. You want to know how to make God laugh? Tell him your plans. Tell him your plans. Okay, Believe it or not, our Lord does have a rather sophisticated but subtle sense of humor. For example, back in 1984, he sent me, rather unexpectedly, here to Lawrence, who hasn't been able to get rid of me ever since. Now, if that doesn't show God's sense of humor, I don't know what else does. Okay, throughout the cosmos, many of his creations uh, illustrate the divine sense of humor. So today, I'd like to highlight several of the uh, uh, odysseys in the cosmos, uh, and on our earth as well, uh, to go through several Bible studies and scriptural passages that demonstrate that our uh, our Lord's strong sense of humor, from the very subtle, to the wry grin, to the belly-shaking, roll-on-the-floor laugh fest that we have. Okay, so... There's my first question. Do you know how to make God laugh? And the answer is, tell him your plan. Okay. Now, uh, most of these are going to be pictures. I'm going to make some comments on as well. And it's not doing it. Come on. Hey, it's not advancing it, Brian. Do what? <laughs> oh, am I? Did point it point up here? Where? It's not advancing it. See? Okay. Okay. Meanwhile, uh, the um, ushers are passing out to you a sheet. Here and this on one side of it, I have several of the biblical stories that I found very, very amusing, and I'm going to go through some of those with you. On the back side of this, uh, I have listed for you the ten plagues of uh, of uh, the Exodus here against Egypt, and how basically uh, God played rope-a-dope with the uh, gods of Egypt. So if you want this or here. If you want further consultation on the gods of Egypt, you need to see Professor Joseph. Okay, there we go. What was wrong? All right. Okay, oddities of creation. We want to start off with these as well. And uh, throughout our universe, God has created a lot of physical laws that everything obeys. Okay, one of those is the law of thermal contraction and expansion. When you heat something up, it expands and gets bigger, longer. If you cool it down, it gets smaller and shorter. That works for everything except water. Hmm. Why? Isn't that something just to make you say, huh, why did that happen? All right, here's what, what actually goes on. Water condenses, contracts, uh, grows smaller until 4 degrees uh, Celsius or about 39 degrees uh, Fahrenheit, which it reaches its densest part. If you cool water beyond 4 degrees Uh, Celsius, or um, 39 degrees Fahrenheit, then it begins to become less dense. It begins to expand a bit. So then, as you see here, uh, the warmest water is at the bottom of the pond, and the ice formed up here is at the top. That sounds strange. Why would you do something like that? Well, actually, this is a wonderful, wonderful idea because it preserves life. The warmest water is down in the bottom now so that all the sea critters or the uh, aquatic critters in the the ponds and the lake can go down to the bottom and survive these harsh winters. Huh, who would have thought something like that? And water is the only substance that behaves that way. So, interesting. I have to... Human. Here's our solar system, uh, the planets and things. Now this is the one that we learned. Way... Oops, I want back up. Come on, back up. There we go. This is the one that we learned, the traditional solar system with uh, Mercury and Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, uh, Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto. Okay, that's the one we learned. All in a nice um, elliptical plane here, and they orbit around the Sun. Today that has been revised a bit. For example, uh, Merc- uh, Pluto is no longer considered a full-fledged planet, but that's now a dwarf planet. Out beyond the Khyber Belt we have other dwarf planets and such objects as well. So it's been slightly revised. Our planetary system also has some oddities about it. You would think that since they're all in a nice elliptical plane that way, that they have similar properties and things. But it turns out that they don't. There's some oddities about it. For example, the tilt of the planet uh, along the way. Uh, Mercury is so overpowered by the sun that it's almost perpendicular to the elliptical plane. It's only 0.1 degrees off. Venus is an oddball because it is 177 degrees off, effectively turning it upside down, so that when it's spinning upside down, it appears to be spinning backwards uh, from our normal perspective. Earth, of course, is about 23 degrees, 23 and a half degrees off. Mars, pretty close. Mars is our sister planet. It's about 25 degrees. Jupiter is so large that it can uh, stand up and be perpendicular to the plane as well. Saturn's about the same as Earth, and Mars, just a little bit bigger. And then we've got Uranus. Now Uranus is an oddball. Because instead of spinning around like this, it spins this way. Because its axis is at a 98 degree uh, tilt. It turns it upside down. Why'd God do that? Again, this illustrates what I would think of his sense of humor. Just as we're getting used to people, uh, the planet spinning this way, he suddenly turns over and makes one spin this way. Okay, uh, how about Neptune? Neptune is about 30 degrees off of the uh, vertical, and Pluto is 120 degrees off the vertical. They also say that there's another planet out there somewhere, Planet Nine. Not Planet Nine. That's a whole different story. Pla- planet Nine out there, which is what causes some of the tilts uh, in the act as the others. Okay? I'm gonna, this is basically more information along the same line. Now, not only that, out in space, look out there and you're going to see things like a horse head nebula. Why would he create a horse head nebula out in the middle of space? Again, as much of this is, I think, part of his amusement or to make us uh, say, huh? OK, now these are funny. These are precariously balanced rocks. Precariously balanced rocks. Uh, this one, for example, here, look at that Is the neck there. This one almost looks like Lyle Levitt to me. <laughs> OK, uh, of course, that's another joke all in and of itself. All right. this one, we've got, this looks like uh, something from Popeye the Sailor uh, cartoon, Alice the Goon, or whatever it may be. Maybe you remember those. Okay, precariously vallous rocks. Okay, here, this one. Look at how big this rock is. How small by comparison to the man here on the side. But it's balanced on this tiny little neck. Okay, this one kind of looks like a prairie dog. Focus head up out of the looking around. Can you see it? Okay. Um, these are uh, here, Again, look how big this boulder is. Balanced precariously on this cliff, on that tiny little spot there. This one looks like a boomerang balanced up on there. Somewhere. Again, these are just things that make you say, huh. Okay. This one looks like something out of Egypt or uh, Planet of the Apes, I'm not sure which. Okay, These are just more precariously balanced rocks. Or how about this one, is a, an egg uh, balanced on top of things right here, Want to see this one. And look, this one, huge boulder, huge boulder on two very spindly legs. Hmm. You wonder, how'd that come about? What kind of erosive processes had to occur to create these sorts of things? Hmm. Okay. Um, next one, this one. Uh, or here's something rather interesting. In the Australian outback, you've got nothing but flat plains everywhere. And then, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it's this red sandstone rock, uh, Ayers Rock, that appears in nowhere. way. It's more of the rock is down below the ground, like a, in a, a diamond shape there, than there is above the ground. But out of nowhere, you're looking across the plain, and it's blank, flat, barren plains, essentially, and then all of a sudden this rock pops up. Then we also have one, a similar situation in uh, America. Here's what's called Devil's Tower. This is in uh, Wyoming, uh, just to the uh, north of uh, Yellowstone and to the northwest uh, of uh, uh, Mount Rushmore, etc., like this. Again, a flat plain, basically. There's some uh, forest and shrubbery uh, along here the side. And then suddenly, whoop, out of nowhere, this big old rock comes up, and it's got a flat mesa across the top of it. Hmm. So you might say, where did that come from? How did that happen? What erosive processes made that? Okay. All right, so uh, this, is a, this one's from Norway. The big old mountain here, and there's a crevice right to the middle of, and a hole right in the middle of, the, of that crevice. How'd you make that? What erosive process is that? This one from Thailand, not Thailand, that's Trump's place. Um, this is a, a strange sort of mountain rock formation out in the middle of the bay. Okay. This one, David, uh, you might uh, have seen this one. Uh, it's just north of uh, I-40 going to, uh, west into New Mexico, just about north of Tucumcari. Okay. So this one is a camel. Do you see the camel shape here? It's a Bactrian camel, very much like it. How do you create that? What erosive processes do that? Okay, this one is called the Badlands uh, Guardian. It's in South Dakota. Um, let's see, this would be just um, north uh, west of uh, Mount Rushmore. Uh, it's uh, east of the Devil's Tower we were talking about earlier. Strange thing about this, you can't see it from ground level. It's only visible from the air. But you see the Native American uh, chief here with his head bonnet around. I'm not just projecting this. Is there a, and it's called the, the uh, Badlands Guardian. This is artistry. How do you create that? Okay, Here's another one. I wonder, how do you create that? How do you do that, Mr. Wizard? Anyone catch that illusion? Anyway, um, so this is a stone arch. As you see here, with a narrow little bridge across the top, this is in S- out, off Sydney, I think, if I remember correctly. Look at that sandstone and uh, the different color striations there. That's amazing how you can get that sort of back. Now, uh, these are what I would call God's artistry. These are actual caves um, in the mid East, I think, in Jordan, if I remember correctly. Uh, but the, the look at the colors. You see all the colors and the striations and all the different formations that are formed there. And then the light comes in from above to create the artwork. Hmm. All right, there's another one boulders, spheres. You know how hard it is to make a perfect sphere? Well, look at this. We've got huge amounts of spheres. This is one they've been digging out of the ground. This shows you the relative size of some of them. Here's a full-grown adult human being beside it. And here's a bunch of spheres all together. How do you make spheres? These are botanical oddities now. This one is a huge, huge flower. It blooms though, only once in its lifetime. Beautiful thing to look at but it smells like a rotting corpse. So why do you make something beautiful and then have it smell like a rotting corpse? Again, this is that, that sense of humor. And this one, Venus fly traps. Not enough to get the, light, uh, get the nourishment from the soil and from the sunlight, but no, this one he it, it is a carnivorous. It eats flies and other bugs as well. Why would you do something like that? These are other kinds of carnivorous plants. These are called pitcher plants. What they do is they, uh, it's a long pitcher-like uh, shape here, a bowl-like shape like this, filled with liquid. The liquid is fragrant. It attracts the insects to it. But once they get close enough to it, then they slip and fall inside and it dissolves. So the, pitch, uh, the pitcher plant eats them effectively. Here's a, few, a couple of more. Up close, and they can be very beautiful. Look at the uh, the artistry, the patterning on this one, for example. This one has a lid on it, as well. In fact, they both have lids on it. Okay. Well, here's some more animal oddities. Okay, everyone knows about giraffes, right? They're odd, odd-looking critter to begin with, right? Okay, you know that they are like us; they're mammals. And because they're mammals, they have seven vertebrae in the neck. So there are only seven vertebrae in that long neck. It's usually so thicker. These are the sub-Saharan cows, effectively, because they're clean animals to eat. They have a cloven hoof, and they obviously chew the cud. So it meets the two criteria for being a clean animal. There's a subspecies of giraffe, this one called a fat giraffe, which is just Massive, everywhere. I guess God likes the next phone. All right, here's some more. How about the ostrich? Isn't that a weird-looking bird? Okay, pointed beak, like that. Uh, ru- when it runs, it is off the ground about half the time. Its toes, it only has two toes, so it fails to meet the criteria for a clean animal. So don't be misled into eating ostrich meat because an ostrich is not an ostrich and his cousin, the emu, are both not clean because they only have two toes. To be a clean animal, you have to have a clean bird, you have to have a pointed beak, which it's got, but it also has to have three toes forward and one toe back. Okay, so well, that's an interesting oddity. Let's see, here's a one. The uh, flamingo, the pink. They're not born pink, but they become pink because of things in the environment. Um, and you notice that the flamingo always stands on one leg. Anyone know why? Well, if it took up both legs, it'd fall down. Okay, this is the blue snail. It's kind of like some of the creatures I've seen on Star Trek Enterprise, for example. Okay. Uh, here's our old friend, the duck platypus. I think God put this critter together just to perplex the evolutionists, if nothing else. Because it's got, you know, a duck bill, it's got a beaver-like or otter-like claws in front for digging. It's got a, it's a mammal, uh, so it has fur, and it, uh, and it gives milk, but it lays eggs. And the back claw back here, those are venomous, like a snake's fang. How do you put all those pieces together? God must have had a sense of humor for that one. Okay, and it may perplex the uh, evolutionists in the process. Here's one. This is called a snor- star-nosed mole. Look at the nose on this one, the star-shaped sort of thing. And claws, again, five fingers forward. This is, uh, uh, again, oddities that we're showing it. These are sea creatures, uh, the purple octopus and the blue octopus. These suckers are uh, have three brains, and they squirt to ink uh, as a defensive mechanism, among other things. Okay, this one is called a cuttlefish, and it is a chameleon of sort. It it will it's a mimic. It will it can change its coloring, change its pattern formation, and everything of this nature to blend in with whatever its background is. Okay, check. This one might appeal to you. This is an angler fish, one who has his own fishing pole that brought along with him. Okay. So these are down in the, bottom, in the depths of the ocean, and it has a fishing pole coming out of its head and a bright light on the end of it. And the bright light attracts the little fishy, and once it gets close enough, it chomps down on it. Okay. Now, this is a seahorse. God did a nasty trick on the seahorse. The males have to carry the babies <laughs> of oh, the blobfish here. Okay. This one is actually three creatures together. There are three uh, green sponges. You put them together though, and they make the cookie monster. Okay. This one is a two-headed snake, also known as a criminal lawyer. Uh, this one is Congress. It has two heads. Still can't decide which way to go. This one is Congress gridlock because the heads are on each end. See? God recognizes what we were going to do ahead of time. Okay. Uh, irony. I think that irony is probably God's favorite form of uh, sense of humor. Irony occurs whenever something appears to be true uh, that is not what is, occurs when something appears to be true is not what is really true. All right, for example, we have four forms verbal, uh, situational, dramatic, and cosmic. Verbal, uh, uh uh, irony is uh, is something like when the intent of the words differ greatly from what is said, like mon- non-malicious sarcasm. An example in Amos, Amos four six, uh, God says, "I gave you clean, cleanliness of teeth," but He doesn't tell you. Is the reason you have cleanness of teeth is there's a famine going on, so there's no food to get the teeth dirty in the process. Um, how about this one? Situation when circumstances are uh, uh, are opposite the desired or expected. Uh, o. Henry's "Gift of the Magi" is a classic illustration of this one. Uh, what we have here is that we had a husband and wife. Husband uh, had a gold pocket watch he was most proud of, and the wife had long. Beautiful black hair, and it un- so it came time. In this case, it was for a Christmas gift, or what I think it was. But anyway, so they each one went out to buy the other one a gift. The husband sold his pocket watch to buy a comb for his wife's beautiful black hair. The wife cut her hair and sold it in order to get a change for the husband's pocket watch. That's an example of situational uh, um, irony. Okay? Uh, how about dramatic irony? This is when the audience or the reader knows something that the character doesn't. Okay? For example, uh, when Jacob was wrestling with the angel of the Lord, with the pre-incarnate form of Jesus, he did not realize that he had his hands on God at that time. Cosmic. When the cosmic forces conspire against the ca- character. Classic illustration of this one is something called An Appointment in Samaria. Um, a m- man, a merchant, uh, and his friend were uh, in the marketplace and he looked up and saw death, the angel of death coming toward him. And it scared him so much. He, he got on his horse and he, and he flew uh, away on his horse as fast as he headed north toward Samaria. And uh, his friend asked Jeff, why'd you scare my friend? And death said, I wasn't trying to scare him. I was just surprised to see him there, since I have an appointment with him today in Samaria. So he flew right into the hand of, to fulfill his fate. And that's one of the things that happens a lot. We've sort of self-fulfilling prophecy. Now, let's go through some biblical stories. All right. Uh, first one that I find interesting is uh, Abraham and Sarah uh, going to sire Isaac here. And at this time, um, Sarah is 90 years old. Abraham, 99 to 100, depending on which verses that you're reading here. And the the questions arise. I guess there was something akin to a little blue pill back in Abraham's day as well. But uh, First, you have the problem of how do you sire a child when you're that old? Okay, there's some mechanics, that I won't get into that, are a bit difficult for people that age. But Sarah laughed, and we went on. Yeah, this is as for Sarah, your wife. You shall call her name Sarah, but she, uh, and I will, and I will bless her and give you a son. Uh, by her, and I will bless her, and she shall called a mother of the nation. Kings of people shall go from her. And uh, Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? Continuing here. Uh, and then they said to him, Where is Sarah your wife? And he said, Here in the tent. Um, And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Now Sarah was listening in the tent door which was behind him. And Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age. Sarah had long passed the age of childbearing. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure with my Lord being old also? That's a reasonable question to ask. There's a humor here that, that God would give a very elderly couple a child and expect them to take care of it. There's humor in both the creating of the child and in the birthing of the child and in the rearing of the child at that age. Okay, let's see. I'm running short. Uh, let's see. This is the confirmation of it—the actual um, uh, reappearance of God. When uh, all of these, by the way, are on the back of the sheet that I gave you, so that you can uh, go read about them on your own if you'd like to do so. Okay. Yep. Yep. I'm. Um, um, Checking my time here. Okay, Rebecca and Jacob fool Isaac. Or when Isaac gets old, nearly blind, he's going to pass on the blessing to his uh, to uh, his children. His two children are Esau and J- uh, Jacob, of course. Now, uh, Esau is uh, Isaac's favorite. He's a man's man, you know, rugged, uh, a hairy beast, uh, smells of the plain, etc., like this. So he's Isaac's favorite. On the other hand, uh, uh, Jacob was more Rebecca's favorite. He's a, a a little more delicate, shall we say, than the other. He was uh, hairless and a smooth skin. So what they decided to do is that um, Isaac tells uh, Esau to go fetch him this fine venison and bring it uh, bring it back for him to take as a t- tasty treat. And Rebecca overhears this and tries to fool him by creating a kid, a goat, spiced up and cooked just the way he wants it. And he puts a hairy shirt on to Jacob and uh, uh, sm- uh, makes him smell of the, uh, the f- wood and then sends him in to uh, Isaac to fool him. And in effect, what happens is that not only ha- does uh, Isaac get the, Isaac pass on the uh, birthright uh, before but the blessing as well. So he ends up with both of those. Again, I'm I'm skipping through some of this rather quickly. Uh, Jacob works to marry uh, uh, Rachel and Leah. Laban is his uh, uncle, and he tries for... um, years, he worked with him for years and years and years to get the daughter's hand in marriage. He wants, he wants, though so Rachel, Leah's the older and kind of homely apparently, but he, Laban tricks Jacob and has him to work for uh, years and years, uh, seven years I think if I remember correctly, for the, the hand of his daughters in marriage and then gives him Leah instead of Rachel. So he ends up having to right work another seven years in order to get the wife he wanted in the process. So that, that's got some humor to it as well. Uh, Jacob wrestled with the angel of the Lord. Okay, so he, here he is in the, in the um, plains. He rose that night, took his two wives, the two female servants, eleven sons, and crossed over the ford of Jericho. He took them, sent them to the brook. And and when Jacob was left alone, a man wrestled with him until the break of day. Now, didn't know at the time, but this man that wrestled with him turned out to be the angel of the Lord. This was the pre-incarnate form of Jesus Christ. And it's kind of amusing that Jesus would get out and wrestle with the the guy in the dirt. Kind of reminds me of the. Story about the the, the arguing with a politician is kind of like wrestling with a pig in the mud, okay? You both get dirty in the process, but the pig likes it. So anyway, Let, he says, "All right, where am I? Come on." And this is when he gets his name changed. And uh, uh, so the angel of the Lord said to him, "What is your name?" He said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. Uh, by the way, Jacob means cunning supplanter, whereas Israel means savior of God. Um, so there's a difference in the name change here, what they mean. Uh, then uh, Jacob asked, uh, tell me your name. Said, uh, why is it you ask my name? And he blessed him there and he said, so, so Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face. And my life is preserved. Okay. Then here's another. Jacob is a smart man, uh, very crafty, very cunning. So what he did here is he he made a deal with Laban his uncle so that he would get all the animals that were speckled or spotted along the way. So what he did is he put stakes, speckles, and of stake in the ground whenever they went through to drink water. And in the process, what happened? Those who saw the speckled uh, steaks and things became speckled themselves. The, their children, the the, the cows became speckled themselves. And Jacob then got all the best uh, of, of the breed. It was selective breeding, is what it amounts to being. Mm. Okay, this was kind of funny. Of course, you all know this story about uh, Jacob the Streaker. Okay, once he was in the house of the, of the Pharaoh and, he, and the wife made advances to him and uh, uh, he wanted. she said, she said, caught him by the garment saying, lie with me, but he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. So he was, he, don't fail me now. He's running, stripped naked through the center of the school rather than, than go in with this woman. Instead of going through all of these, let me just point to a few of these, because I am running short of time. Um, We've got Jacob blessing Ephraim and Manasseh. And when he does so, the normal procedure is that you would come forward with the blessing, the older toward the right hand and the younger toward the left hand. But what Jacob does in this one is he crosses his hand and places the blessing on the other one. So, that's a bit of the Oh, uh, the, my my funniest, one of the funniest ones in here is the story of Balaam's ass. Can you imagine you're going along and suddenly you're your donkey stops dead in his tracks. Doesn't move. And you try beating him, whipping on him, everything of this nature, and he doesn't move. Turns out there's an angel standing in the pathway there. And so, to uh, God opens the mouth of the, of the donkey and allows the donkey to speak in the process. So, I find that uh, very amusing. Okay, on the back of this one, you have the ten plagues of the... Uh, um, against the house of Egypt and the first one turned their blood to Nile uh, turning the Nile to blood second one the plague of frogs and the third one was the dust turned into bugs and that's when they stop because the other gods cannot keep up with them from that point but the funny thing about this one is that each time that Moses and, uh, performs one of these miracles here the one the plagues and brings it upon him they, uh, the gods of Egypt say, oh, we can do that. And they just compound the problem by repeating the same plague over again. So you end up with a bunch of frogs everywhere. Uh, you, and uh, this is against Hecate, uh, the goddess of fertility, water of resurrection. So they actually end up crawling into bed with them. I mean, it, it's... Mm. All sorts of things. Interesting. Let's see. There's paint on that. I'll let you read these stories on your own. I want, do want to get to one though that is the uh, on idolatry. Well, uh, the one at, um, of Elijah at Mount Carmel is, is funny. So let's just because the. Then you call on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that sounds fair. Uh, it is well spoken. Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, uh, Choose one bull for among yourselves, prepare it first, for you, are, uh, for you are many, and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. So they took the bull which was given to them, and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal. Uh, Baal uh, from morning until evening to saying oh Baal hear us but there was no voice no one answered Then then they leapt about the altar or dancing and everything which they had made and so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said cry aloud for he is a god either he is meditating or he's busy or he's off on a journey or perhaps he is sleeping and you must awaken him you hear know what's going on? See the mockery that's going on? So they cried aloud and they cut themselves as it was their custom with knives and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. Okay. And when midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid any attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your your name. And then, with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar, large enough to hold two salads of seed, And he put the wood in the order and cut the bull into pieces and laid it on the wood and said, fill four water pots with water and pour it on the burnt uh, sacrifice and on the wood. And then he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. He said, do it a third time. And they did. And the water ran ran all around the altar and he also filled the trench with water. And it came to pass. At the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are the God of Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that these people may know that you are the Lord God, and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. Okay? Then, that, you, you, can you see the. the, the uh, it's, oh, oh okay. all right. I'll, I've got many, many more things that I could tell you about. There is humor scattered throughout the entire uh, Bible. Take advantage of it and don't be afraid to laugh. There are things in here that are hilarious. Give yourself the freedom to uh, We've got a floating axe head. The, the passages on idolatry are crazy. Uh, and even the little one with Jesus' first uh, miracle, turning water into wine, what does he say to his mother? He says, woman, what am I going to do with you? That's got a t- tone of humor to it. Not so mu- Not the angry uh, we've got Peter uh, being called, and got the, he's just been out fishing all night, hasn't caught a thing. Jesus said, throw your nets on the other side, and they bring in a haul that's too big for him to handle. Uh, Peter's walking on water. You can almost count on Peter. Peter brings a lot of humor to this story. Uh, there's a passage where Peter wants a bath. That's not just my feet, but my uh, body also. And of course, uh, he's whacking off Malchus's ear um, at the end. Uh, Matthew seventeen twenty seven. You've got a fish and a coin in the mouth. There's all sorts of humor. Enjoy it. It's there for you. Okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, that's enough. All right. Uh, let you go ahead and, uh, with that one. But again, go through all of these stories and many, many, many more if you like to, as well.